0: This is the Employee Experience in Education podcast, the teacher retention podcast for school leaders, and I'm your host, Eric Brainstetter. In this podcast, we'll speak with educational leaders, former educators, and industry experts to better understand the employee experience in education. Our goal is to equip school leaders with realistic and actionable strategies to keep more teachers in the classrooms. On this episode, we'll speak with Kathleen Beachboard, award-winning teacher, best-selling author, and innovative researcher. Today, Kathleen will share how hope can literally rewire a brain of students and teachers after trauma. Kathleen also shares why hope is the key to living a resilient, happy, self-satisfied life, the power of hope on your school culture, and how to measure the hope levels of your students and teachers for free. Hey, Kathleen, great to see you again. Thanks for joining us today in this podcast. Really excited to hear about you and the work you're doing for schools. But before we get to that, do you mind talking about yourself and a little bit of background and why you chose to become an educator?
1: Um, So why I chose to become an educator, um, I've always loved working with children. Um, Even my first job, I worked at the YMCA. I love kids and so I got into teaching for that love of children, like that sparks so many people wanting to make a difference. Um, And so background information about me. So I love kids. So I really, really wanted kids. And so I adopted five of them at once out of a case of extreme abuse and neglect. That was fun. Um, No, I love my kids. And then we ended up having two more. So I have seven. Um, and that kind of led to all of the research and all the stuff that I'm doing right now. I'm utilizing hope psychology and the neuroscience of hope, um, that I'm doing in the classroom as well as I am a teacher. So for those people who are like, oh, this PD is so disconnected. Nope. I'm on the front lines with you. I'm doing this and I'm implementing what I'm learning about hope psychology, not only in my classroom, but with my fellow colleagues
0: you talked about you adopted five kids from severe trauma and started researching hope. Is that because you felt like that's what they needed? You realized pretty early on that they didn't have hope and that's what got you on this path of hope or what what caused you to start researching hope?
1: So when I brought home the, the five children with them and my husband was there, I thought I knew how to help them. Um, so I had done research. I found out that essentially having good relationships was important as well as, you know, finding connections with them. But the reality is all the research I found um, showed that having an ACE score, of, a, which is an adverse childhood experience of higher than six out of you know 10 at the time because there were more now but they had 9 out of 10 because they went through physical abuse sexual abuse drug abuse um and you know it it was horrible and so they they showed up and I thought I knew what to do but they ran into the corner and started crying and huddle hugging and I'm like oh my gosh, none of this professional development's working. I don't know what to do. And then the, the next day, I literally had a PD on trauma. And the I remember the PD got up there and he's like, hey, if your kids have a score of nine out of 10, they're more likely to go to prison than high school graduation. And I'm like, oh my gosh, these kids are going to go to prison and I'm their mom. And I, I didn't want that. And so I started Google searching, literally Google searching. How do you fix broken children? How can you heal their brain from trauma? And the thing is, there wasn't a lot of research out there. And then through that, I discovered the research of Dr. Snyder. And so what they were finding was, is that essentially, as hope increases in the brain, the impact of stress and anxiety on your medial orbital frontal cortex decreases. So it doesn't take away your pain, but what it does do, the the brain rewires itself with trauma over the long term, but it rewires itself as you raise someone's hope over the long term. So it is a way to combat the neural pathways that form during trauma and give a kid a chance at having that severe, like the prefrontal cortex working just as well as if they hadn't been through the trauma. And so it is a way to combat trauma in the brain. Those amygdala neural pathways, it's a way to fight back and form new neural pathways that make you resilient and and, and give that uh, cognitive abilities that can be disturbed through the amygdala pathway. So in short, I found out, yes, trauma is bad for the brain. Hope is good for the brain. And if we use it at the same time, we're giving our kids, as well as the teachers, because we go through secondary trauma, our best shot at being able to live a resilient, happy, self-satisfied kind of life. Yeah,
0: that's amazing. I So when I think about hope prior to this conversation, I think about it as this kind of internal optimism that things are going to go well, right? You You have hope that things are going to be better in the future. I certainly didn't think about it as a science, but there is a, and you just described a lot of different brain functions and how the brain, it actually, the, the brain changes over the course of time through hope. To me, that's, I, I was not expecting that whatsoever.
1: So you said you thought of hope as this optimism for the future. You're right, Eric. So it's not really optimism per se. It's a mix of your goals, which you set for your future, pathways, how you're going to get to that future, and agency, your motivation to reach the future. So those three things combine together to form your hope. And it's measurable. It's not one of those things that we're going to guess at. You can measure hope. Takes one to two minutes. That's it. And you can measure it as an adult, even as a kid, and your hope levels will change. But the higher you get someone's hope level, the more that it's going to be impacted, that it becomes... just straight flatline, what's that mean, flatline? That you get a high hope level. You can go through death, divorce, darkness, but because you've been to that positive cognition, you know how to get back there. Yes, you've been through things. It'll lower temporarily, but your brain will naturally get back to that point. But if you've never been there, you can never get there. It's like saying Paris exists. Until you've seen definitive proof, you're not gonna believe it. Because all you know is what you know.
0: Mm-hmm. So goals, pathways, and agency. Can you break those down a little bit more for us? And so, especially around this idea, if I'm if I'm a classroom teacher, or maybe for this podcast specifically, if I'm an administrator working with classroom teachers. How do we start to build hope in the classroom? What does goals look like, pathways, and agency? What's the what's the kind of real road application here?
1: Okay, so there are two real road applications if you're an admin. So the first one is the hope of your culture. And guess who sets the hope of the culture? The administrators and what they do, the systems they set up and everything else. And there is actually a new questionnaire that I just worked on and was have been researching for thrively on the goals pathways and agency inside a school culture and they're made up of your vision and mission your systems that you have set up for uh, recognition as well as the environment itself and the way it displays the people that are represented in the building um, and so all of those different parts make up your culture. So there's the hope of your culture. This is what you give up in, and give off in your environment. And so that's a test. So you can look at your culture. How hopeful is your culture? Then you have the hope of the people inside that culture, and they bring that with them. So first thing as an administrator is to find out the hope level of your culture and your people. Then here's the coolest thing. Hope is transferable over the course of time. Most people, they hang out with people similar to themselves. Like you, you probably have friends similar to you, similar income, similar kind of passions. And so they also have similar hope levels. And teachers tend to get in these mixes where they stay with similar people. Well, first thing as an administrator, it's important to know the hope level of your different people. Why? Because everyone can benefit from having a plant of a hopeful teacher and it's the same way in a classroom. If you're a classroom teacher, find out the hope level of your students. Plant the hopeful student or the hopeful teacher with teachers who may have lower hope or students who have lower hope. Why? Because over the course of six to eight weeks where you allow them to interact, that hope is transferable. The low hope will not bring down the high hope. The high hope will bring up the low hope because they're seeing a positive cognition that they don't have, and they're learning the ways to access it. I can give you a great example. So I'm a super high hope teacher, and I have a co-teacher who started off not really super high hope. She was very doubtful and, and she had a lower hope level according to the adult hope scale. So we were put together. And so she's in my classroom every day. And I know that, you know, she would she would face these barriers. She had a low pathways level, which means when she comes to a problem, she usually thinks of one way for the solution. And so she would think, couldn't figure out a way, and then feel stuck and that's hopeless. So me, I'm a high hope person. I believe there are millions of ways to solve a problem. And so she would say, oh, I have this problem. And I'm like, well, did you try this, 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 or this? And she's like, I never thought of that. And then over the course of time, she started to develop that same thinking pattern that I was putting out in the environment. And it's just natural because as you see it, you learn it. Hope is learnable. It's not something that you can't pick up on just by being around others. And so you can raise hope scores just by putting people together purposefully, not just randomly. It's seating charts that teachers have. Let's do it scientifically. Don't just do it randomly. Do it scientifically. Raise the hope level of your students. Same thing with your teaching staff. Create your professional learning communities scientifically. Don't guess at them. Do it using science.
0: Interesting. And so what what's the assessment look like for that? I know you had mentioned Thrively. So you've worked with Thrively to create these assessments. What, what kinds of questions, how do you determine the hope level of teachers?
1: So it's the same way that Dr. Snyder, the founder of Hope Theory, created the Adult Hope Scale and the Children's Hope Scale. They're research-based and research-validated to work and they've been used in thousands of schools. They're even part of the Gallup poll that comes out that some schools may have already taken. And so they're free on Thrively, like any teacher or any admin can log in, create a Thrively account, and there is no cost for this. I made sure they were free because I understand I am a teacher. So you go in and the adult hope scale is essentially 12 questions and they ask simple things like, um, How uh, do I believe that the goals I set for myself um, will be accomplished or the things that I've done in my life have set me up for success? It's questions like that. They're very simple, but they're set up essentially because it's the adult hope scale. We know as psychologists that adults tend to try to trick psychological assessments. So there are a couple of questions in there that actually count for nothing, but you don't know which ones count for what. And so after giving this assessment, and it's based on a Likert scale where you give yourself a score, like this is not like me at all. This is like me all the time. And so you take the assessment and then it will break down your score into agency pathways, and then give you an overall hope score. Now, I, I saw your face, so you're like, wait a minute, agency pathways, where's the goals? There is no goal score because people are naturally goal-directed. So when you woke up this morning, you had goals for your day. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this podcast with Kathleen. I'm going to go and help my my kid and my wife. I you had those goals those goals are natural however hope impacts the type of goals that you set for yourself so a teacher let's say they're low in hope how does it impact them in the classroom they're not going to seek outside help they're not going to want to learn anything that they don't already know it's because they want to do what's safe what's easy people who are high in hope they take on more challenging goals they take on goals to learn new things to dive into new concepts and to try new things that could Benefit their students. And so it's important that we get people to that high hope level because it will help, especially in the classroom, because they'll have more tools in their toolbox, they'll have more resources, and they'll be more readily accepting of trying different things because nothing works for all kids, nothing works for all teachers. And so this positive cognition, that is not just optimism, it is a positive state of mind that we can give people that is a learnable skill can change their life they'll set better goals they'll they'll try harder things and because of that your teachers will achieve your students will achieve and your culture will achieve
0: that's fascinating so you mentioned before plcs and being very strategic with who you group together if i'm a high hope teacher am i am i aware that i'm a high hope teacher or is that just part of my natural being and if I'm placed in a group, does my administrator say, hey, Kathleen, you're a high hope person. I want you to spread that hope. How how much intentionality is there versus how much of it is organic?
1: Um, there has to be some intentionality in this. and And the thing is, whether you're high hope or low hope, it doesn't matter. Because remember, this is a learnable skill. It is not something where it's like, oh, I'm this. And then I'm the only one with this. No it's spreadable it's learnable and and to know I'm that it it i call them hope mentors in my book that i wrote about the school of hope so these hope mentors that you have in the building their only job is to support teachers support another teacher and these might be the teachers you know who need that extra support because they're dealing with a lot and so having those teachers and knowing who they are you set up the environment so they can interact but then the rest is organic. You let it happen as an administrator. A great example is two kids in my classroom. High hope kid next to a low hope kid. This is exactly what happened. High hope kid had very high pathways, high agency, great high hope. Low hope kid, barely he had low pathways, set low goals. And so they're both seniors. The high hope kid said, hey, I'm going for a college visit this weekend. Low hope kid said, what? Why would I do that? I thought we'd just apply and get there. No, no, no. You should go visit because you're going to live there for four years. What? Well, how do I get in to do that? Well, did you apply to any colleges? No. I, I didn't even know we should be visiting any. Then, hi, Hope Kid, and I didn't do any of this. Would you like to come with me on my visit? And my mom can probably help you come take the SAT with me this weekend. We can get you signed up right now. Look, I, I set up the environment. And then the organic part happened without me. And that's what you need to do. You have to use the strength of your people strategically. And another thing with High Hope that you set up in the culture part is finding out what are the strengths of your people and using it because a lot of the time admins say, let me bring in this PD, let me bring in this thing. You don't need something else. You have professionals in your building with degrees and they have experience and background knowledge that could be vital to your success because education is put in silos, as we know. One of the things that I also recommend, and I bring this up, is creating a strengths. Directory. And it's a simple practice. You just ask your staff, what PDs have you had? What do you feel like you're really good at? What things do you bring to the classroom that you feel like you excel at? Then take that, send it out as an Excel spreadsheet where you say, here, this is what this person has. This is what this person has. You've created the environment for success. How? I'll give you a great example. I wanted to become Google certified. The teacher across the hall for me, guess what? She was Google certified. I looked at that list and I was like, whoa, there's a pathway. And I went and I talked to her, found out there were trainings online and I got Google certified and she was there to support me along the way. That creates real professional learning communities because we're using the strength of our people to make ourselves stronger, not the outside people. And that's the amazing thing. We all have gifts and talents and hope is utilizing them and making sure they're being used in a building.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting. So I had a conversation. The last podcast guest that we had is a former NASSP Digital Principal of the Year. And so many times in the conversation, in both in the podcast recording and the pre-conversation, he said, Eric, I had he didn't say I'd lost hope, but he said I was emotionally spent, I was physically spent, trying to do everything. He said, You know, I, I tried to delegate as much as possible. And what I just heard you say is this whole idea of we have these, these resident experts in our building, throughout the building, make an Excel spreadsheet, allow people to connect with one another, and then kind of get out of their way, right? So I, I'm curious, based on your experience, how how hopeful are we as an as in industry right now in education? Of course, there are pockets of high hope. There are pockets of low hope. Are, are most people hopeful right now? Or are most people lacking hope? Where, where kind of are we?
1: Well, you can look at the Gallup poll, because once again, it it does a heartbeat of of, of the schools. And so, and it's mainly given to students. But if you look at that, usually, remember, there's a trickle down effect. So if I have a high hope teacher, and I have all high hope teachers, guess what, as students, that's going to impact their hope level. Does that make sense? So as a society... With the outside people coming in and, and, and politics getting an education and administrators having teacher shortages, there is a lot of stress right now. And coming back from a pandemic, guess what? That was trauma for all of us. I mean, I couldn't find toilet paper for six months. So. I mean, it's not the kind of trauma that we think like trauma as in, I, you know, my kids' trauma, but it was a widespread natural disaster, like a fire that never ended and it's still going on. And so when a fire, like most people, they go through a natural disaster and they're like, okay, because it ends, this has never ended and it's still going on. And so it's it's impacting all of our psyches because it's like the world could shut down again, and it could, and we know that. And school, what was safe is no longer safe because these big people who are not our superintendents shut down school. And so how hopeful are we as a, a whole not very, but it's because we're still dealing with a widespread natural disaster. And that's why the Children's Hospital Association, the American um, Academy of Pediatrics and sh- the child, they like, they all got together, the big three in psychology. And they said, oh, by the way, um, we're having a widespread um, national state of emergency in child and adolescent health right now. Like wait lists right now to see a psychologist or a psychiatrist are six months long. And that's if you're like suicidal, and that's a problem. And so if you think about it, it's a backlog of all these people needing help, and they need help now. And we're dealing with it because guess what? We're on the front lines. And so, yes, I I can see why that principal would say, I became hopeless because we become isolated and, and we're stuck. This is why we have to start fighting back. And so as an overall school system across the U.S., we're not very hopeful right now. I would say we're on medium to low hope at best and medium is is just pushing it. And so if you have these schools where they're fighting back with psychological supports and they're built in, not I'm not talking psychotherapy, I'm talking positive psychology because that's the opposite. Someone who's high hope has low chance of anxiety or depression. And so if we do this, and we do it specifically and we do it strategically, we can create those pockets and we can create so many of them that we can drown out the rest. And I thoroughly believe that fMRI brain scans have shown that with my own kids. It's the reason they're here and they're thriving and they're doing great things. But did it happen overnight? No, it takes time, perseverance, and you have to feed it. And so right now, a lot of people aren't being fed. They're not being nourished. Psychologically, they're isolated and and they're stuck and they're feeling, feeling hopeless. And so how do we do that? We have to do it purposely and we can't do it alone. That's why I call it the school of hope. We have to go in together, teachers, students, administrators, parents. This is a movement. And if we move, we can prevent the consequences that can impact future generations.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic, and I love the, I love the spirit that you have with this, and you've seen it. So you've seen what hope does to your own children. You've seen what hope does in your school, and being an, a, a current educator, you have your own classroom and a co teacher. You've seen the impact that hope has. So I'll probably be a little bit uh, repetitive or redundant here, but you said a couple of things. Go in together. Let's fight back. So if you're talking to a school leader right now, a school leader calls you and says, Kathleen. I don't know what to do. I'm completely lost right now. I have no hope. Or if somebody isn't saying it out loud but is thinking, especially school leaders, can you walk us through like what are some realistic, actionable things that that person can do? And you're probably are going to reinforce some of what you said right now. But and it's not as simple as a recipe. It's not you know a half cup of love and a three fourths of a cup of research. But what what are those steps that somebody can take right now? If they feel like, you know, this is January, we're recording this, I have no hope, what can I do?
1: Okay, the first thing is that that principal who felt isolated, you have to reach out. He had someone, everybody has someone that you can rely on. And that person that you rely on, like, like, that's your, your bud, whatever, you you have to have a person. Everybody has to have a person. And with that person, what should you do? I totally recommend self-care plans. We have fire drills for fires, tornado drills for tornadoes. I mean, intruder drills for intruders. Guess what? We're more likely to have a bad mental health day. Do you have a plan for that? (gasps) No, and so it's very simple to create one. I have it for free on my website. Once again, all these things are free. I understand administrators are spending money they don't even have. So free. Go get it. And so this self care plan says first, take care of yourself every day. Most administrators they worry about all the 911 problems for the building, but they put themselves last. And that's a problem because if you put yourself last and you give everything to the job, you don't exist anymore, your life just, it it flies away. And I bet that's kind of what happened with that one principle. So the first thing you have to do is create a plan for yourself, mind, body, spirit of how to take care of yourself every day, you. And so it can be simple things like me. I purposely wake up hopeful. How? Well, I like to laugh. And so I like dad jokes. I'm just throwing it out there. I'm not a dad, but I love them. And so I wake up every day and I read one like this morning. Uh, uh, I just remember it because it was great. And it said, um, I woke up and I wondered where the sun went and then it dawned on me. I love it. So I do that every day purposefully because it brings me joy. And then there are other things. So like social, connect with someone who you care about or end your day with hope. I can do that. Yeah. Being gratitude is a hopeful practice. So open three emails at the beginning of your busy workday. Leave them open, right? Gratitude as the subject line. And then by the end of the day, fill them out. Why? Because you're ending your day every day on a positive note every day. And you did that purposefully. So for those administrators who are struggling, first thing is, how do you take care of yourself? How do you infuse hope into your school day? How do you infuse hope into your life? And yes, you have to take care of yourself first. Your oxygen mask has to be on so you can help others. If you have no oxygen, you will burn out. You have to do that. Then after that, the next step is doing the same thing for your people, because guess what? They're suffering too. So self-care plans, getting the high hope people, but all you just set up the systems and also rely on others. You have a trained staff. You have people who are there because they love children. Rely on them. Utilize them. You don't have to do it all. You can create systems for your Swiss data, PBIS, your, your referrals. You can, you can create systems. Your people love you. They, they want you to succeed. Most admin don't know that. I cheer for my admin every day. I saw him today. I was like, Hey, Mr. K, because I love them. And that's the thing. You will always have people who don't, but you have people who do. That's the part to remember rely on them, utilize them, and don't go it alone. You're not in this alone. You have a school and that school is your power.
0: That's great. I love that. So can you talk more about your relationship with Thrively? And I know you mentioned, and I'll put in the links uh, or the episode notes, links to these resources, but what what can people do with Thrively with regard to hope?
1: So Uh, Teachers can measure their students' hope. Admin can measure their teachers' hope. Really? Yeah, you can. So you could just have a PD meeting and say, hey, and be transparent. Be like, I want to see how hopeful you you guys are so I can use that, so I can use your strength to create more hope. And so- Find out the hope levels, share them out. And hope, if anyone's low in hope, letting them know this is not a horrible thing. It's something you can learn like anything. And so learning that hope can fluctuate, hope can become higher. And the most important thing is knowing that everyone needs to experience high hope because that's a gift for the rest of their lives. And making sure wellness is part of your school culture. We put test scores, achievement, oh, that's what the parents want. Guess what, parents want their kids to be healthy and happy i think they want happy more than they want the achievement whether you know it or not and so making sure as an admin you've realized those things and that if you're teaching your the students as well as the the caretakers to take care of themselves and i'm not talking self care i'm talking psychological care for themselves, and creating systems where you have people relying on each other, and you have those supports built into your school. It's important, and supports for yourself as well. We can do that. Once again, it takes time, it takes effort, and it takes some planning, but it starts with the admin doing it. You have to be the model for your building, and that model needs to take care of themselves. And That way, we can take care of ourselves and know, yes, it's okay to turn off the email and not check it after 6. You have to set those precedents where there are boundaries because honestly, I hate to say it, but teachers and admin and everyone, we're replaceable in our jobs, but in our families and the people that we go home to, you're not replaceable. And so that's why it's important to take care of yourself because if you're a happier person, you'll bring that to work with you.
0: What's one action or strategy with regard to hope that you hope every school leader takes away from the conversation then applies to their own building.
1: The biggest thing is, is that they measure it. We cannot guess at this like, oh, we taught the kids leadership. No, if you taught it, there should be a product from that. We can't guess at the well-being of our people anymore. We need to make sure they're okay. We need to set up systems to make sure they're okay. So measuring hope, that's one piece. Daily check-ins for staff members where they know I can come to you or I can email you or there's some sort of system set up where if I'm having a bad day, I can tell you. That creates psychological safety and support. And so the biggest one would be Measure your stuff. Don't guess at this. And also measure your climate. Like I said, there's going to be a new assessment available on Thrively soon. That will also be free, where you can also measure your school culture. It's important that we don't Guess at this, because if you know, just like, oh, my test scores are here, you know where you're at, you know what you need to work on. It's the same thing with a building. So if you're low in pathways, what does that mean? It means that people don't understand the systems that can get them someplace in a building. And it's your job to make those systems more transparent. Or if you're low in agency, there's motivation lacking, which means your staff need the same things students need, voice, choice, autonomy, and the ability to mastery and feel purpose in their work. They need a stake in that vision, not just you telling them the vision. And so those are simple things that, especially if you read my book, that I have a whole section just for admin after every chapter. It's like teacher section, admin section it's called compassion for colleagues and it's just different ideas and things that i've done with hundreds of schools across north america that have been very impactful in creating hope-filled cultures and once you do it's amazing because you think why taking care of the psychological hope is so important it makes the entire building start to achieve. You'll see test scores go up. You'll see students in attendance more. You'll see staff in attendance more because it's a place you want to go, not have to go.
0: And what's one celebration that you have that you want to share with the audience today?
1: Well, I've had um, quite a few buildings that I've been working with one-on-one doing professional development with. And so while Although it's not meant to measure any sort of staff retention thing, but if you think about it, if, there, if you love your job, are you going to leave your job? No. And we're in a teacher shortage right now. And so for those HR departments and principals trying to keep teachers, if you want motivation to keep teachers, create a hopeful environment. Because this one school system that I'm working with, they usually have a retention rate of like that they lose 20 to 30% of their staff just mid-year when they have, what are you coming back next year? 20 to 30. Nope. And then this year it was five. And she was like, oh my gosh, I might actually have my teachers back for more than one year. And I was like, exactly. And it's the most amazing thing because you create the environment. I'm not going to want to leave because there are things worth more than money in this life. And having that job that satisfies you and makes you grow and makes you feel like you matter, that's important.
0: Yeah. Go back to what one of our previous guests, Rebecca Carlisle from Gwinnett County Public School. She said, happy teachers don't quit. I'll add to that and say hopeful teachers don't quit based on the, what you're sharing with us today. And Kathleen, if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way of them doing that?
1: Well, they can either tweet me out at Kathleen Beach um, email Kathleen Beachboard at Gmail. And then I also have um, a website, theschoolofhope.org. And I'm also on Thrively. So you can contact Thrively because I, I do work for them and I also have doing research for them. Or you can also contact me at Liberty University where I'm doing some of my research. So Kathleen, CG at Liberty.edu.
0: That's great. And I'll include the links in the show notes as well. Well, Kathleen, thanks so much. What a wonderful conversation. What a great way to start the week talking about hope and the power that hope has for all of us, administrators, teachers, and students. So thanks for everything that you're doing.
1: Thank you, Eric. This has been awesome. And I love this subject because, like I said, it changed my own kids' lives and gave them such bright futures. They're doing amazing. And I've seen Mm -hmm. what it does for my colleagues and for my students.
0: This has been the Employee Experience in Education podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, and don't forget to leave a review. Thanks, and have a wonderful day.